chapter 12, verses 1 and 2 begin a new section in the book of Romans. The last section in these last few chapters, Paul has proven beyond the shadow of any doubt not only that the ungodly are justified by grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ alone, apart from any works or merit of their own whatsoever, but only by receiving the mercy of God as a gift when hearing the gospel, but also that this gospel which demonstrates God's perfect righteousness is the fulfillment of God's Old Testament word. The God who justifies the ungodly is the God who keeps all of His promises. Paul told us the thesis, the point of the letter back in 116 and 17. He says, For I am not ashamed of the gospel, for it is the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes, to the Jew first and also to the Greek. For in it, in the gospel, the righteousness of God is revealed from faith for faith. As it is written, the righteous shall live by faith. The gospel is the power of God to save sinners like us. Now, Paul will prove from chapters 12 to 16 in the final, final section of Romans that the power of the gospel creates new lives of worship in believers. What God had revealed to Israel regarding his desire to create a people for his own possession, a holy people, he accomplishes through the power of the gospel among all the nations. One way we can read uh, almost all of Paul's letters, if we wanted to, is to divide them up between uh, indicative and imperative. That's normally how he writes if he wanted to frame it that way. Here's what God has done. Here's what we should do in light of what God has done. But I, I think we need a better understanding, a clearer one of how to read Paul because of this section in Romans in particular. The lives of those who have received the gospel are not defined by ethics by behavior, but by worship. The, uh, this section is an appeal to the power of the gospel to create a life of worship. Worship is not uh, really what we do on a Sunday morning or when we gather and sing. That's one aspect of worship, but this is not uh, what Paul is after here. Ethics, behavior are redefined in light of the gospel as worship in everyday life. The gospel Paul preaches is the power of God to create a new life of worship in those He has redeemed through Christ. Let me pray and we'll dig in here. Father, thank You for Your Word. Thank You for Your mercy by which You open our hearts and Your Spirit to, uh, by Your Spirit to understand, to hear, to believe what is in front of us. Father, soften our hearts this morning. Help us be able to focus me, Father, as the speaker. Would you have mercy on me? Would you keep me from interrupting what you are saying in your word? Would you help everyone in this room this morning to understand, to hear Christ proclaimed in this passage? We ask and pray this in his name and for his sake in our midst. Amen. Romans 12, verse 1. I appeal to you, therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies as a living sacrifice holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind, that by testing you may discern what is the will of God, what is good and acceptable and perfect. It is uh, problematic at best 
to define the lives we live as Christians as lives motivated mainly by gratitude for what God has done for us. I don't mean that we shouldn't be thankful for what God has done for us in the gospel. Of course we should be thankful. And we're even commanded in the New Testament to be people filled with, characterized by thanksgiving. But gratitude is not the biblical motivation for the Christian life. Gratitude, a whole lot of gratitude, is something the flesh can generate on its own with no help of the Spirit in varying degrees depending on what we're talking about being thankful for. And so maybe we come to think that I should be most thankful in my life for what God has done for me and so that's, my, uh, that's why I should live for Him because of what He did for me. But gratitude is not the motivation for the Christian life. And since we're simultaneously just and sinners, as long as we are in these bodies in this world, we ought to know that we don't have it within us. We don't have what we need in our flesh to sufficiently motivate us all the time to do what our God commands. There will be times that we feel more gratitude, that we feel like we want to do more for God, and there will be times that we don't. The old Adam in us thinks we can muster up enough thanks and enough affection at will to live new lives, and we cannot. So notice how Paul words this. is very important. Paul does not appeal to us because of God's mercy. That would be gratitude. Because of God's mercy, because of what He's done for you, here's what you need to do for Him. Present your bodies as a living sacrifice. By God's mercy. That's different. Not because of God's mercy, by God's mercy. Which means mercy is the means, not the reason, for presenting our whole bodies, our whole lives that is, as living sacrifices. In other words, we're not motivated, once again, by trying to give back to God because He's given so much to us. The mercy of God that saved us is also the means by which we may live the life God calls us to. We are never supposed to stop seeing ourselves as products, as the result of God's mercy, of what God is doing to us and through us by His Spirit, not what I am doing or must do. That can only go so far while we're still in the flesh, and it can't go far enough, which is what God commands. God's mercy gives us salvation. God's mercy is the means by which we obey His commands. It's, that's something completely different than anything else on the earth. We don't even know exactly how to do that when we hear it. How do I obey by mercy? I thought obedience was this duty I performed. We have to learn to die every day to the need to please God with our own effort and affections as living sacrifices. Now, that language deliberately takes us back to the imagery of the Old Testament, doesn't it? Sacrifice. We, uh, we know how sacrifices worked under the Old Covenant. The new worship of the age of the Gospel is what was being prophesied and prepared for in Old Testament worship. It all was forward pointing. It was not the end. We're not trying to return to that. It was preparatory. It was foreshadowing something. All the Old Testament prescriptions and laws instituted by God for Israel did at least these two things. They demonstrated the distance there was between us and the Holy God. 
between holiness and the creation which had fallen into sin. Most of all, us, right? The people. The Old Testament divided everything up into clean and unclean, holy and profane, etc., etc. That's the first thing Old Testament worship, the Old Testament religion did was show us how far, how distant we are from God. And so everything about worship had to reflect that. You had to be clean. You couldn't come too close. There were certain people that could go here, but other people couldn't, etc., etc. Secondly, the Old Testament religion testified to the need for a promised mediator. One who would come and bridge this gap between the Holy God and His fallen creation, even sinners. When Jesus finally came, the holiness of God Himself was basically invading the fallen creation, coming and being among it. And what happened was He changed creation. Creation didn't change Him. As the high priest, the one mediator, Jesus Himself was the fulfillment of the Israelite priesthood, of all that Israel was called to be, of all that Israel was prescribed to do for the world. So with Christ, since He met those requirements, all the laws of clean and unclean came to an end. We learned in chapter 5, verses 12 through 14, that where sin caused death to spread throughout the world, Christ's holiness gives life, it recreates, restores the diseased, dead, and decaying world. Jonathan Grothy writes, The bridge has come, the chasm spanned, the system, the Old Testament religious and religions and religion and laws put in place to point forward to the coming mediator is no longer needed. Christ's arrival does away with the need for the temple as the place to meet God. He is the temple and we are in Him. And the Sabbath, which was so crucial to the Old Covenant worship in Israel, has been abrogated, reinterpreted with the dawn of a new age, the reign of Christ, which is the eternal Sabbath rest to which the ordinance on that day pointed. That way of worshiping God under the Old Covenant, specific to the laws and roles of the religion, to point forward to the promised deliverer and prophet, priest, king, and sacrificial lamb is over. It's over. That way of worshiping God. Now, now in Christ, worship is something new that is appropriate for this new age that Jesus brought where you no longer have this distance defining everything. Remember that in Hebrews 9, verse 9, the consciences of worshipers under that system could not be cleansed, could not be perfected. There was always something in the way of unfettered worship and loyalty to God. The Old Testament sacrifices, all the religious nature of the Old Testament system could not cleanse the conscience. And therefore, true worship, which we find God is seeking in John chapter 4 because it doesn't exist on the earth yet. He's looking for it. Couldn't happen not with a tainted conscience, not with sin still in the way. But it has come in Christ through the Gospel and the new covenant Jesus mediates. That's what Romans has been saying in part. In Christ, new creation has come. Everything in Him is holy and pleasing to God. He lays all claim to all time and all space which means that holiness now invades the everyday life of believers, of His people. 
Christ lays claim to the war that's being fought in us every day as those who are simultaneously just and sinner with the power of God. It affects the postures and attitudes of our minds as we sojourn by faith in this world. It's not set aside for a certain day or a certain place. He's present with us, near to us. He's made us holy in every aspect of our lives. Even though we will continue to struggle with sin, the fact of the matter is from heaven we have been made pure and holy once and for all by Christ. Therefore, by the mercy of God, our attitude and behaviors, the patterns and deeds of our daily lives, our consciences will be affected, are meant to be affected. But the new outlook on worship doesn't work like the law did under the old covenant in Israel. We are not motivated by a grateful response to therefore keep the law and so with the right motivation may somehow eventually please God. That's the key issue here. What the gospel proclaims is that Christ has pleased God completely for us by keeping the law for us. Our obedience is no longer required in order to be accepted and to stay in the covenant. We will be obedient, but it's not the basis of our standing with God. We have a different motivation, a different way of life as God's people. It's the powerful working of the gospel to transform our minds. The way we think, that's the seat of belief. It's the powerful working of the gospel to transform our minds and to create as a gift of the new age that Jesus has brought a posture and a mindset that are characteristic of belonging to Him as recipients of His mercy. We're in by mercy. Paul's detractors, the Judaizers we read about so often in the New Testament as well that the Apostle had to deal with, all focused squarely on behavior and morals and external things and regulations. They focused on what is not yet done and our need to do it in order to be fully accepted by God. Now, what it sounds very pious, like those are the real Christians, right? The problem is that that type of thinking implies that Jesus did a lot for us, but He didn't do everything we needed. And that can be the unsaid motivation or the unsaid statement we're making when we live like something is still dividing us and God and that's why we obey. That's why we do good works. There's a reason that Paul's detractors and the Judaizers were not becoming as holy unto the Lord as they thought they would be by acting like that. They didn't have the right motivation. Their thinking had not been transformed by God's mercy. That's unbelief in gospel terms. To live as a debtor when your debt has already been paid is to ignore the power of what it means to be free. If you live your Christian life that way, with a sense of debt, it's, it's like somebody buying your food and then you going up to the counter and trying to buy your food. There's no longer a bill for it. It's been paid. And it, it is suggesting that what the person who paid did is insufficient and needs to be added to. If my gratitude isn't in this, then it's not good. It's, it's not complete. 
We walk in newness of life. Everything is new. Everything. Nothing is old anymore. Paul writes in 2 Corinthians 5 that we are new creation in Christ. Nothing is like it was. Paul focuses mainly here as as he continues. We'll get into God willing um, in two weeks. I forgot to mention I'll be gone last Sunday, but I'll get back to that next Sunday. I wasn't gone last Sunday. I don't know why I said that. But Paul focuses mainly here on the overall shape of the attitudes and characteristics of being made new by the power of the gospel. Not so much specific actions or ethics. Now, he does deal with those kinds of things. He does have some specific things to instruct here. But what Paul is revealing here in the introduction to this section is that really, usually, it will be up to individual Christians to figure out what specific deed or action is right in the different situations of their everyday lives since that now, all of it, is considered worship. And by when I say situations, I mean our stations in life, our vocations, what we do for a living, or what roles we have in our home, our church, etc. Say, Tony, that sounds dangerously close to situational ethics. Are you saying that we decide what is right and wrong? Absolutely not. Situational ethics, the self decides what is right and wrong in any given situation according to what they feel is right or wrong or what they want. And that kind of runs society today, right? It's, it's, you hear statements like, well, that's your truth. This is my truth. And so it depends on, uh, you know, maybe that's how you see it, but that's not how I see it. To the point now where uh, the people that have told us for hundreds of years, you know, that, that were these backwoods um, fools that trust in the old ways of the past and not in science, now we're being told that science really doesn't mean anything, right? Trust the science. Okay. If you change it every 10 seconds, I'm more than happy to trust it. Right? It's, it's, it's not that science is, that there aren't true things in science. Of course there are. Science is not the enemy of the Bible. It, it proves it. But it's just, it's, it's, we've been told to follow science, and now it's like the most basic science. Did, did you know, I, I read a, an article that 2 plus 2 equals 4. Did you know that's rooted in white supremacy? I sure did thought it was just math. But anywho, just like everything else, but he, 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 by the power of the gospel, the mercy of God in us, not the self, is the means by which we decide what is right and wrong in carrying out the everyday roles in our lives when the scripture hasn't already given a clear command, Right? So, you know, in other words, I don't decide that it's okay to embezzle. I don't decide, you know what, for me in this situation, what would be best is if I embezzled, if I uh, murdered, if I committed adultery. That's not what Paul is saying. Paul is saying that, that since you're fully accepted by God's mercy, since you're fully forgiven, since you're a bona fide child of God and nothing is lacking, you're just going to live and your whole life is going to be a life of worship. And so within that, within the roles that you live already in everyday life, you're going to be deciding every day because you're free what's good, what's acceptable, what's perfect in certain situations. Because now our whole lives are living sacrifices. They're not appointed for one day and one time. 
This is, this is who we are all of the time. We'll be faced with all kinds of situations in life that are particular to our role as a father or mother, employee or boss, student or teacher. We're, we're going to want to need to discern what is the will of God. That is, what is good and acceptable and perfect. The text does not tell us that we need to figure out God's will for our lives when we're making decisions as though there's a right way to go and then there's all these wrong ways you could pick as though God is testing us in every decision we make to like like what He really wants to give us, He's hiding it behind His back and we have to figure it out by discerning clues and looking for open doors and closed doors. And Beloved, that's almost witchcraft. That's a pagan way to live. In the New Covenant, we don't have Urim and Thummim. That's what the high priest of Israel had because sometimes there were ways to go, directions to go, decisions to make, and they didn't know what they were supposed to do. So they would consult the Urim and the Thummim through which God worked during this age. And Urim meant choose this, and Thummim meant choose that. We don't have that in the New Covenant. Stop living like there's still distance between us and God. Paul is simply saying, look, you are free to decide every day, today I'm going to do good, today I'm going to do acceptable, today I'm going to do perfect. Because you are accepted already by God's mercy. This is meant to set us free. So you don't come to the end of all this beautiful gospel stuff and justification stuff. Oh, the depth of the riches and the wisdom and the knowledge of God, how unsearchable are His judgments, how inscrutable are His ways. For who has known the mind of the Lord so as to become His counselor? Who has ever given a gift to Him that He should be repaid? For from Him and through Him and to Him are all things. To Him be glory forever. Amen. And then say, now let's go back to trying to make ourselves feel righteous before God by doing all the right things. The Gospel does not give with one hand and take away with the other. Like, like we live these lives like they're still... We still have to find approval. We still have to be accepted. We still have to figure something out. And so if we pick right, everything goes well. If we pick wrong, we don't have God's blessing. Yeah, that's that's paganism. That's that's like that's trinkets and trying to live by signs. We don't need to do that. Lord, I want to go to this college, but I also like this college. What if I pick the wrong college? Just pick one and go and be thankful and live. Like you do not have to live in this kind of bondage. Well, maybe college, but like, what if you pick the wrong spouse? Can I say something? If you're married, you didn't pick the wrong spouse. That's your spouse. Now, we're not talking about what if I'm being abuser. I'm not talking about that. I'm saying you can't say, you know what? He is really ugly in the morning, and he smells, and I just, I can't. I don't like the way he. I don't like the way he chews. I don't like the way he talks. I don't like the whatever. And so I just don't feel like I'm in love anymore. No. No. Like, and that, Tony Romano's not telling you that. My, you, you don't need or want my advice on how to be a great husband. I'm, I'm saying you, that's, that's not an issue of what is good and acceptable and perfect. God has already said how to maintain ourselves in a marriage. But if we needed Urim and Thummim. If we needed trinkets and, and confirmations. We, we, I don't know. Where does the New Testament talk like that? Or, or, you ever hear people say this? If you say this, I don't want you to get offended. Please, just try and hear me out. 
I know this is right because I have peace about it. You think Hitler was conflicted? Do you, do you think like, do you think right now the, the, the people that we see in society that are evil are, are, are doing it because they're, beloved, that's not a way to know what to do. Of course you're going it's, to, it's crazy how you have peace about what you wanted to do. Don't live like that. If, if you're not sinning, live. Like you, do, you don't have to justify it. You don't have to. You just. The text is telling us that in the ebb and flow of everyday life, at home, at work, at our jobs, at church, etc., we are going to be faced with situations where we are not sure what is best, what is good, what is acceptable, what is perfect. Do I work overtime because my family could really benefit from the money, or do I go see my grandma in the nursing home? Both of those things are good and right. And each day we're trying to figure out which to do. And, and, and the point is, if it is good, acceptable, or perfect, just do it. You're not going to lose God's blessing in your life. You're not going to lose His presence in your life. It, our relationship with God does not work like it worked in the Old Testament. Under the Old Covenant, that is. It, 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 that was pointing to something. It was not the end of the line. It was, it was designed to say this needs something better. And God was saying, and I'm going to provide it. You don't need to live in bondage as though we're in this constant place of choosing good and bad. And if we choose wrong, God will not be pleased with us. Believer, you are the recipient of God's mercy by the power of the gospel. Let go. Live. You, you We'll make mistakes. We, we will make the wrong call sometimes. We are children of God nonetheless by God's mercy. Let go of the reins and live by faith, not under constant pressure. You are new. You are forgiven. You are a child of God. You're already accepted. What Paul says here is that by God's mercy now, we may present our whole lives, even when we're making decisions on our own, our whole lives, all the decisions we make are spiritual worship. That's what our lives are now. We will be pleasing to God in every aspect of our lives as His own. So when we take on the different roles of our lives, be it as a minor, an accountant, a mechanic, a secretary, a teacher, a pastor, a spouse, a parent, even a, a governor, a soldier, whatever it is, we have been placed by God's mercy into lives of different relationships where our faithful service in those roles is actually now our worship to God. We're falling back in line with His design for creating the world and humanity. So you don't have to be a pastor to live a life of spiritual worship. Or a pastor for worship, or a youth pastor, or, or uh, any of these things, right? You, you don't have to do something like that for your whole life to be spiritual worship. You are as close to God as I am. I'm always more than happy to pray for you, but my prayers are not magic because I'm the pastor. By all means, let me pray for you. Tell me when I can pray for you. Don't hear me not saying that. I'm saying you are as close to God as I am. 
and I am as close as you are. You don't get like a special pass as a pastor, like, like you're a little closer. No, I'm, I'm not. You can, you can genuinely glorify God and live a holy spiritual life as a waiter or a waitress by showing up on time, doing what's required, treating customers, fellow employees, managers with kindness and dignity and respect and integrity. These are all biblical things. You can glorify God as a living sacrifice, as a student in school who honors your parents and teachers and does your homework and studies and doesn't cheat and seeks to be kind to the different kids at school and be at peace with them as much as it depends on you. You're living your life of spiritual worship several hundred feet under the surface in the darkness of a mind by showing up every day, working hard, providing for your family, showing respect to your superiors there. You're living a life of spiritual worship to God, changing diapers and washing dishes and vacuuming and getting the kids off to school as a parent every day. That's what the Bible is saying. And we could go on and on and on. Don't feel like less. Don't. You, do you see what God is saying? I've transformed you by my mercy so greatly that now what you do as a person every day in life brings glory to me, is worship to me. What I was showing I wanted under the old covenant to purify people and make them holy unto me, I gave the law to show that that won't be the way you can become that, so that I might show you the gospel, which is the way by which you will become that, to me. This is what the mercy of God for us in the gospel has done. It's transformed every facet of life, so that it's, it all can be worship to God. Again, not sin. We're not saying that, and not, Paul is not saying that. We're saying that you've been made new by the mercy of God. So you don't have to move or go to seminary. You don't have to spend your whole life volunteering at the church, which we always need volunteers. But you understand that's not, that's not the only way to be factoring God into your life. You have much more opportunities at work and home to worship God than you do here. I mean, what if, I'm not, I don't want to downplay this, I'm saying, but... You know how it is. If you've got a fight with your spouse on the way here, you're not going to really start to feel worshipy until you're into like the second or third song. Right? You're distracted. You're angry. Maybe you couldn't get ready. Maybe something didn't finish in the dryer. Maybe you're super tired. Maybe you didn't feel like going today. Right? It's all these things. And so this, this is meant to be an oasis for us, a balm for us. But it isn't always that based on what we're bringing with us in the door. Right? But... God is saying, listen, it's not like you missed your chance to glorify me if you had a bad Sunday. Your whole life is worship now. Your whole life. Any of it can be transformed by understanding that this is before God. You say, oh great, that's supposed to be good news. My whole life is before God. If, if this was not based in mercy, it would be terrifying. But it's all based... Why do you think Paul says that? All the things he could have said, by this, serve God, give yourself as a living sacrifice. By mercy. Mercy. God has you even when you blow it. We've been given the mind of Christ. It is 
worship in the constant spheres of everyday life. It's there that we'll learn not to be conformed to the way of the world's thinking. Why do those folks go to work? Why do those folks make the decisions they make in their relationships? And what motivates them? And Paul is saying, don't be conformed to that and then try to add your Christianity onto it. Don't live out of trying to pay somebody so that you can be accepted or become something so that you can be accepted. By God's mercy, realize you have been accepted. He's made you His own. You're His child your whole life. From the most minuscule thing to the greatest is worship. God is being worshipped in 10 million places from homes to churches to skyscrapers to because the gospel is so powerful. The mercy of God is so powerful. It's in all these roles and relationships then that Paul will move from general to specific in the rest of the section. So to talk about what this looks like within the body of Christ as it pertains to our humility and edification. What does it look like with society at large and subordination to others and love for neighbors? What does it look like for us as Christians, for us in America, in the place where we have been placed in relationship to one another with a willingness to welcome, to greet one another and be vigilant against troublemakers? What does this look like for us as Christians in America in relationship to missionaries and pastors and the rest of the church and a willingness to pray and support the gospel mission and glorify God together with one heart and one voice? Paul will give us some direction, some headway. And it's all the fruit of the Holy Spirit in us. He is the agent of our transformation and conformity to put our bodies and minds, which here in 12, 1 through 2, that is ourselves, our whole lives, that's what he means, into the service of God and precisely the roles we have in them. You may be moved by God to sell everything you have and go be a missionary somewhere or go help Christians suffering somewhere. Praise God. Just please don't think if you don't do something big like that, that you somehow live a subpar Christian life. You are not more glorifying to God if you become a pastor than if you are a plumber. There's zero difference. Now, there are implications for the people of God in the church and eldership and all these things, but God's mercy is so powerful that you're glorifying God every day showing up for work as a plumber. You know what those guys do. Do you understand how holy Christ is? That that has all been transformed and now is acceptable worship to God. How merciful. You you don't have to make sure you're wearing the right clothes. You don't have to make sure that you uh, are in the right place at the right time, that you you, you, you have these certain days and you have these certain rituals that you do and so you have to get everything cleaned up because really God is holy and so how can I get close? You're close. You're in Christ. And His holiness is greater than your dirt or the dirt in which you work. That life you live, just learn to think differently about it. That's literally all the text is saying. It's all worship to God. And when we sin, which is not worship, what do we do? Because we're accepted, we repent. And we're forgiven already. 
all worship, though. The appropriate worship of the body of Christ in the world in the new age Christ has brought. So, the gospel Paul preaches is the power of God to create a new life of worship in those he has redeemed through Jesus Christ. It's the Holy Spirit who is at work in us through the gospel to create the worship and life of the new age Christ has brought. Trying to live purely out of gratitude. Something has happened to me, I recognize that I need to live in a way that I'm thankful for. That I have to earn it. That that's the old way of living. That's the way it was under the law. Where the heart was not being changed. Where the conscience was not being cleaned. This way of living is new. It's new. The life of a Christian is something different than that. Again, of course we are thankful people. How could we not be thankful? What we need to understand is that what we have in Christ through the Gospel is completely different than any other religion or system that seeks to motivate human behavior and change, which are almost all based on gratitude to something or someone. You know how it is if you've ever been to a psychiatrist, psychologist, a counselor, and you're there because you're depressed or you're struggling or you can't seem to get out of the darkness. And what are, Often, what do they say? Have you thought about just being thankful for what you already have? Count your blessings, right? I was told one time by a very well-meaning therapist, very well-meaning, I'm not putting him down, like, why don't you get a little notebook and every night before you go to sleep, write down five things that you're really thankful for. And in time, by reflecting on that, you'll, you'll begin to feel a more thankful person. Your life will change. If you and I could snap out of it, we probably wouldn't need to go to the psychiatrist. It doesn't work. Just, just think about things to be thankful for. You mean all the things that I'm going to lose, that I love? I mean, there's always a way to spin it, right? It's not the way to live. It's, just, it's not that there's nothing to be said for a more positive perspective. I'm not saying that at all. But, it, but again, if we could just up and feel what we need to feel, we wouldn't have our problems. I, I, if I could just up and feel discipline, I would look different. They haven't bottled up discipline. They gave me Manjaro. I threw up all the time, so I'm not taking that anymore. Right? So, it, it, just saying I need to feel something, it's, it's, not, it's not going to work. And that's not the way we are being called to live as Christians. Just get over it. Just snap out of it. Just feel more thanksgiving. Do more right things. This is different. Being a Christian is different than that. The whole world says that. Any, every religion in the world says that. Just behave better. Be better. Stop doing that. Start doing this. Well, what do I need religion for? This is the power of the Gospel that Paul is talking about. This is the power of the life of the new age that comes entirely from God to dead sinners like us and has its impact on the daily life we walk through in this old age where we still live. We're simultaneously just and sinner. 
we need as much grace to stay in this as we did to get in this. And God is giving us amazing mercy here to reveal to us, listen, you don't have to move to Jerusalem. You don't have to move anywhere. You are living a life now because I've redeemed you as spiritual worship in Moundsville, in Glendale, in Shadyside, in Cameron, right here. Lord, I mean, how am I glorifying you? I'm just a barista at Starbucks. Show up on time. Be respectful to your boss. Kind to your workers. Kind to your co-workers. Don't bilk the time clock. It's worship now. See, how can God... There are non-Christians that do those things, but they're not accepted by God. They're not His child, at least not yet. God is saying... What I'm telling you is that what Jesus did for you is so sufficient to make you a bona fide child of God. Make good coffee. Make good shoes. I'm glorified. I'm glorified. Jesus has transformed everything. I've changed diapers. A a little bit. I think my wife changed them more than I did, but I've changed them. How is that glorifying to God? Because He says so. Because he says so. This is why we're strangers and pilgrims here, living as people with a whole new outlook while living right beside people who still think this world is all there is. So our new lives of worship look for and try to figure out what will be best in this situation or that and know that whatever you do when you're not sinning is glorifying to God is worship. We aren't discerning the will of God to find out all these things God has kept hidden from us. That, that's not the gospel. We don't, do, do we only give our children dinner and lunch and breakfast if they've earned it? No, we love them. That's our child. You can make me furious with something you did at 3 o'clock. At 6, we eat and you're at the table. Right? If we can pull this off, And we do. All parents do this for the most part. Think of what God's attitude towards you is when it's not tainted by the inability to forgive quickly like we all tend to have. Just imagine what it's like to be loved by God because you are. So live. We've been made new. We've been set free. We rejoice with joy that is inexpressible and filled with glory. You have every right to do that, Christian. We want to find a way to walk as those under grace and mercy and the forgiveness of sins. For this is who we are now through Christ. New, alive, forgiven, and free. Living lives of spiritual worship 24-7. This is what Christ has accomplished for us. And for you who, as of this moment, still reject Him as your Savior. We struggle as believers too with all the same things that most unbelievers struggle with. I want you to know, one, that we're glad you're here and would always welcome you. That we're telling you, by the authority of Jesus Christ, not our own feelings about you, you must repent of your sins. You must receive the truth of Jesus for you. You must recognize the need that you have for Him. If you do that, you are more than welcome to come and tell me about it or come as we sing here and and say that you believe you need to turn to Christ but you don't know what to do. Anything like that, I'll be here.
I'll do my best to help you pray. I'm not embarrass you or anything like that. If you're a believer and you're struggling with your life, you're feeling worthless, that you're not doing enough, or if you're struggling with your assurance, please come, let me pray with you. Would you stand? Please.